of all the people we could invite, we invited uh, our brother Rick DeBose, his precious wife, Rita. And uh, I met him 20 years ago uh, in Saxe, Texas. But um, the Lord has used him in a powerful way. Now, he's our assistant general superintendent for the Assemblies of God and uh, doing a phenomenal job, the Bible engagement project and everything else. But, but more, uh, he's a friend, but more than that, he's a man of God and a man of the word. I mean, he's a teacher of the word, a preacher of the word of God. And, and I love when he comes to the edge. He scares me a bit, but he comes to the edge, and then he shakes his knees like that. You might ought to get ready, because that means he's about to, he's about to bring it on down. That's what that means. Isn't that right, brother? That's, what, that's what's going to happen. And just when you see his knees start to shake, you, you get ready, because he's about to bring it. Hopefully online you stay in tune, but we love Rick and Rita. Would you help us welcome, Oak Grove, welcome to Rick and Rita DeBose. God bless you, brother. I'll get you. God bless you. Yeah, that was good. They used to say when I pastored, they'd say when that Elvis anointing comes on him, you better back up. He's, something's about to happen. I didn't even know I did that until they showed me on video. Then I tried to quit and realized if I quit... I quit preaching. I couldn't. It was just a part of the process. So you're hilarious telling that. I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to do it now, even if not God, just because <laughs> you set me up for it. I just don't want to miss the moment. You know, that's just too good. Bring it up. Everybody love Jesus. Say amen. amen. Everybody that is glad that God has a long-term plan. Say amen. You know, sometimes we find ourselves in a circumstance that we say, now, how's this going to end up? How's this going to work out? This is not good. This is, this is not where we want to be. And then God finishes the story, and we look back and go, oh, God had it all the time. Yeah. You know, exactly. I love that story, Mordecai, when, uh, you know, they, they were going to build gallows and hang him and kill him. But the end of the story, the guy that built the gallows was the one that got hung on him. And, and Mordecai ends up being promoted. You just, you just don't know what God's up to because he's already thought about the end from the beginning because he's the God yeah. that knows the end from the beginning. That's what he, you know, it must be difficult to be God and know everything and yet not use your power of knowing everything to force everything. Man, that we still have the right and responsibility to choose and make decisions, yet God can't help but know what we're going to choose before we choose it. So he's already considered that and put it in the process. He's just, he's just God. He's just God, and that's all there is to it. And somehow in his wisdom, 75 years ago, he knew people that would need Jesus today, that would need this ministry. He knew the ministries that would need to come out of this church, and this is a part of his divine plan, and you are right in the middle of the plan of God for what he's doing around the world. How wonderful is that, Pastor? He knew way back then that you were going to be needed here in this place of responsibility and that you would need to stick with it. Nineteen years. That's a long time. I was going to say, well, I wasn't going to talk about your hairstyle, but I did notice I did notice when they were showing pictures of you 19 years ago, wasn't it when you had that style a long time? So, you know, that's getting even for making fun of my doing this. So we had that coming. Uh, I'm just messing with you. Isn't God good? I was so excited when he shared with me that the focus today was legacy. Not only the legacy that has been produced by what was, but the legacy that's being produced by what is. Thank God for legacy. Thank God for future. I love that little statement. I'm fixing to preach in a minute. I know you're saying, hurry up, preach. We, we want to eat. I get that. But that little statement that you made that we all use, it's used so much, but the best is yet to come. You know, with God, that's always true. He always does better next time than he did last time because he never shows us how completely good he is all at once, but he just lets it build and build and build and build. So he's always up to something better than last, and he's up to something the best is yet to come. How incredible that was. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, guys. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for what you brought to the city. But thank you for what you brought to the Assemblies of God, this ministry. You have put people in ministry. You have helped people on their journey. 
You have welcomed them in. You have helped them on their journey. And this church has been willing to participate in that kind of ministry and the uniqueness of helping people continue to move so that now you have fruit all over the world and all over the nation that's being produced by your faithfulness during a time period of people's lives. You gained from them while they were here, and they gained from you while they were here. And then you send them on. What an incredible ministry. You know, there's a little principle in Matthew 25 that we all need to get. And it's that end of the story that Jesus tells. It's an incredible story. He uses the, the talents. That's how we, oh, King James Version was talents. I think some of the more modern uh, translations use the term money. But the idea is that God said, said the master gave one five talents and one two and one one. Y'all know the story, right? And at the end of it, they all give account. And the one with five, it turned it into ten, and he celebrated. And the one with two, turned it into four, he celebrated. But the one with one hid his talent in the ground. And so he scolded, and God says to him, why did you just hide it? I gave it to you. I didn't expect you to just bring it back. I expected a return, expected an increase. And he's, he said, well, I was afraid. I was scared. He said, I know who you are. I know how you operate. You expect to harvest where you've not planted. And the, and the response of the master was, so you know that I expect to harvest where I've not planted. And your response was to hide it? And then I, when I read it, I said, God, that's pretty mean because you're the one that established the principle of sowing and reap. And all of a sudden, you're holding somebody accountable to something beyond your principle. He said, no, that's not beyond my principle. He didn't understand my principle. The truth is, I do expect to harvest where I've not planted, but I don't expect to harvest where no one has planted. So what I plant in you, I expect you to plant in others. So that when I come, I harvest in other places. So that what God has put in this church, he doesn't expect just to come back and find it here all hoarded and it's ours. No, he expects to find it all over the world and all over America. And you're fulfilling the very process God declared there in Matthew 25. And I thank you for that. So how do you get 25? How do you become 75 years old? Well, I don't know. I'm not that old yet. and uh, But... I did have a time where I, I'm going to preach in a minute. I told you all that, right? I did have a time where I, I sat down with a gentleman that was over 100, and I asked him, how did you live to be 100? What was the key? Because I'd seen a thing on the news, and this lady had turned 100, and they asked her, and she said the key to being 100 was to drink a Dr. Pepper every day. So I, I, I don't know. You know, I thought maybe I can do that. That's right. That's in my wheelhouse. If that's the key, that's something I can do. Some of you, how many of you are already well on your way because you're doing your Dr. Pepper a day? Yeah. So I thought that was hilarious. That she, If I were Dr. Pepper, I would have hired that woman the rest of her life to give that test. But the guy I talked to, he had a different, he said, well, he's a pretty smart old fellow. He's an old preacher. He's pretty smart. He said, well, there's two ways to get to be 100. I said, what is it? He said, one way is to avoid dying for 100 years. <laughs> I said, that's just, just write that down somewhere. It sounds a little boring, but uh, you can get there. That. He said, the other way is to keep on living for 100 years. So there's two ways to get there. And there's two ways to become a 75-year-old church. One is to be afraid, live in fear, build a wall, and just try to keep from dying for 75 years. The other way is just keep on living. And I was watching that parade come by this morning, and I said, now that's a church that's just kept on living. They just kept on reproducing and kept on multiplying. And I appreciate what you've accomplished. I'm going to preach to you a little bit this morning about the idea of legacy. I think it's a great, it's a, <laughs> it's a great moment of celebration. And it's a great vision for the future. It can only be done with descendants. There has to be somebody else pick up what we started. We saw that beautiful oak tree and that, that little that little uh, acorn that was had grown, and that was a big tree. It was a little medium tree, big tree. I like that. It's a cool picture. But the real power is not in that tree getting bigger. The real power is in how many seeds that tree planted and how many other trees were living. And that's where you guys are. How do we do it? Well, you can't, you can't have legacy without discipleship. And you can't have discipleship without relationship. And that's why Malachi 4.6 says it this way. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Ooh, that's a little strong, Lord. Yeah, but here's the key. 
as long as the older generation loves the next generation and the younger generation respects the older generation, there will always be a future. There will always be legacy. But when it's not there, what will happen in the community will require my intervention with a curse. What a, what a powerful passage of Scripture. Let's pray, and then I'm going to preach. Father, I pray the Spirit of the Lord would help us. We're celebrating what's been done and what's going to be done. We're thankful for what's been done. We are thankful for the impact on lives and people, the community, what you've done, how you've used this church to touch the world. We thank you for that. But we thank you just as much for what's about to be done, for what's next. Let us learn from what we've done right in the past. Let us realize the things that have worked. Let us grasp that so that we may apply that as we move into the future. I pray from your word and from insight and from understanding, we would become who we need to be to continue to move forward, not just celebrating what's been done, but celebrating what's about to be done. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. When the heart of a spiritual father is right with his spiritual descendants, the spiritual child has a right, and the spiritual child has the right heart toward the father, the legacy of the father is secure. You're going to have a legacy. And the future of the descendant in the church is solid as long as those relationships are right. When the heart is wrong on either side of that relationship in the ministry, the church will be weakened and it will become somewhat like Eli and his sons in the time of, of judges and or in the time of Samuel, excuse me, and working toward what God had and what happened. Now, that story is a sad story. The story there in 1 Samuel is a story of, of, a, of the priest who was named Eli who raised two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and those two boys, were uh, they, didn't, they didn't appreciate their father. They didn't respect their father. They didn't learn from their father. And their father didn't hold them accountable. He didn't lead them well and treat them. So there was a breakdown in that relationship of one generation to the other, which would take an hour to, to do all of that. But the breakdown was real. And because the breakdown was real, what happens in the next few chapters is pretty incredible. What we see God do, first of all, God saw what was coming. Remember that part in our event? He saw the future before it took place. So God, way back when the breakdown was happening between generations, went over to a young lady, Hannah, and 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 bound up her womb so that she couldn't bring forth a child. And some you know, this is not the sermon, but it's not unusual for barrenness to precede greatness. I'm telling you, that time, that thing you can't get done, that thing that you want so bad that you desire, a desire that is from God, but you can't seem to get it, you can't seem to make it happen, it can't, that's where she was. She finally went to God with this moment of desperation. She's praying. She said, God, here's the deal. If you'll give me the child that I'm asking for. Now, you know, her, her, her husband had two wives. We don't do that anymore, just in case you're wondering. Uh, but her husband had two wives, and the other wife, she was having all kind of babies. And so, I mean, they were probably all the same, you know, one or kind or the other. But she had a bunch of babies. And so she says, she says, and then she was jealous, and there was, there was, it wasn't a, it wasn't a happy home, it wasn't a happy home. Let's just leave it at that. So she's praying, and she said, God, if you'll just give me a child. I mean, I'm getting more desperate every day, and every time she has another one, I get more desperate. I mean, I'm telling you, it's like everything in my world. So I've, re- I've reached a place where I'm going to pray this prayer. God, if you'll give me the child, I'll give him back to you. You know, sometimes that barrenness is to bring us to a place that the great thing God's going to do in us, we will remember to give back to him. And so there's a shift taking place in her life, preparing her for this moment. Well, you know the story. She ends up giving birth to the child. His name is Samuel. And then when he's three years old, she brings Samuel to the house of God, and she gives him to the worst father in his Israel. She gives him to Eli, who was a bad father. Now, you know how much faith it takes to trust somebody that's never been trustworthy before. That's another message in this. But she did it. She had the faith because it was her commitment to God. We can learn from that part of the story that we should keep our commitment to God, even if it seems to violate every area of common sense. That's another message.
So she gives the child, and sure enough, God saw it coming. So why did God have him in the house? Because God knew that with the breakdown between the two generations, something was going to have to happen because it was going to lead to destruction. It was going to lead to defeat. So what happens in the next few days or in the next few chapters, I mean? Number one is Samuel writes, we believe, many believe that Samuel wrote the book of Samuel. He didn't write it all because he dies somewhere in the book, and we're pretty sure he didn't write anything after he died. But we won't try to get into all of that. But he's but he's riding along there, and I believe, we believe, that as he tells the story, remember, he's riding sometime after the events he's riding have already taken place. So in his riding, he said, first of all, he says, are you ready? The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Great statement. You know what happens when we get caught up in struggle between generations? Usually the word of the Lord suffers. That's the first thing to go is we're so caught up in ourselves, my way and what I want, that we stop, we, st- we, keep, we quit keeping the word of the Lord in its right place. So that happens. So then, then after the word of the Lord is rare, what happens? Well, then he said the lamp of God had not yet gone out. Now, why did he say not yet? Well, he said not yet because it did eventually. And so people that would read it would know that it had gone out, but he writes it before it had gone out. Everybody still with me? Say amen. I'm going to take you down a little road, and I don't want you to fall off the cart before we get there because I'm showing you the importance of legacy. So here's what happens. He said, said first of all, the word of the Lord was rare because the generations were broke down, and when the generation is not breaking down, the word of the Lord is not being passed forward. When it's not kept by one generation, it won't be appreciated by the next generation. So the breakdown in the word of God was a big issue with them. And so then the the lamp of God goes out. It hadn't in, but it did. He said it before it went out. And so we know the lamp of God. So what's the lamp of God? Well, the lamp of God is not just the light, the night light that you use to walk around. No, the lamp of God is the lamp that's inside the holy place. And when you go in to minister before the Lord, there are no windows. And so it's the lamp of God that illuminates and gives you the ability to operate. You take away the lamp of God, you don't know where anything is. You can't do what you're supposed to do. It's the divine illumination of God. It's that gift. And the fire of God all through the Old Testament represents the work of the Holy Spirit. So I know I'm going fast stay up. It represents the work of the Holy Spirit. Where did that fire come from? Well, you got to go all the way back to the tabernacle. When Moses was at the day of the inauguration of the tabernacle, the establishment of it, the dedication of it, it's in that divine moment. And there's a cloud that had been following them around during the wilderness. Now, in that cloud was a fire. And now the fire in that, so they were at night, it was a fire. At the daytime, it was a cloud. And out of that fire, that was in the wilderness, the fire falls. What does the fire do? It lands on the altar that had been prepared. Now, that altar and that fire, they had been told in the law, do not let the fire go out. That every morning, every evening, the priest would do. Out of that fire, the lamp of God was lit with holy fire. So now the lamp of God carries the holy fire, and it's now inside the temple. Now, it was the job of the generations, and it had been passed on from generation to generation to generation. That group that started it, the sons of Levi, way back, way back over here in the wilderness, they'd kept it burning for the 40-year walk through the wilderness. They had not let the lamp go out. The holy fire that had been given to them, as, as, and they had responsible for it, they didn't let it go out. They kept it burning and so they added oil every morning another priest was on duty at night he would add oil every night another one would take care of the fire on the altar they'd clean off the ashes from the day before they'd arrange new wood they kept it, they didn't let the fire go out they kept it burning they get to the river where they cross over into the promised land 40 years later a new generation and they walk over they keep the fire burning they take to they move to to shallow where is where this story takes place and in the in shallow they established the tabernacle they put the ark of the covenant and the fire still burning and it was still burning. So when Eli got it, Eli, the fire was still burning. And Eli kept the fire going most of his time. But as he handed his ministry off to his sons, his sons who did not heed to the word of God. What do you mean? Well, every morning the word required that they would get up and make sure that the fire was burning. Every evening before they'd go to bed, they'd make sure there was enough oil to burn through the night. And so they understood the value of the word of God. They obeyed the word of God. And because they obeyed the word of God, the fire of God continued to burn. But when a generation broke down to the next generation they didn't heed the word of God because it wasn't valued here it wasn't valued there and they didn't value it so the lamp of God went out I'm tired 
I gave you a lot. I gave this. So, so what happens next? Well, after the lamp of God goes out, the next thing that happens is that um, uh, Ichabod, you know the story Ichabod. So, so the two boys, the two, they go off to battle. They take the Ark of the Covenant with them. They go off to battle because the enemy was rising up against them because, because the Spirit of the Lord was not with them because God was not helping them. Their enemy was overtaking them. They go into battle. They grab the Ark of the Lord there at Shiloh. They think if we take the Ark of the Covenant with us, then God will give us victory. They go into the count they shout and celebrate but god doesn't help them they get defeated they lose the ark then then the two and the two boys get killed in battle and so the messenger comes back and tells eli your sons have died then he falls over and dies it's a great story isn't it he falls over and dies and then the daughter-in-law to one of the sons is is pregnant and she goes into labor and gives birth and she says name the child what ichabod many of you and ichabod means the glory has departed. So what do we have here? We have a breakdown of generation. Breakdown of generation leads to a breakdown in Bible. Breakdown in Bible leads to the Spirit of the Lord, the fire going out, which represents the Holy Spirit and the move of the Spirit. And then, and then Ichabod, the glory departs. I like what Moses said when he was in prayer on the mountain to God and they're, they're discussing whether or not to destroy the whole nation of Israel. And he's standing up, and he defends Israel, and he intercedes, and God hears his intercession. Then God says, all right, I'll let him live, but I'm going to send an angel. I'm not going. Moses said, well, if you're not going, I'm not going. I mean, it's a great intercessory moment. And he says, come on, God. What distinguishes us between every other nation except your glory among us? I'm telling you, what makes makes going to our church different than going to somebody else's church? It needs to be the glory of the Lord among us. And when I come in, there's something. What's in this house? What is this? I feel something. I sense something. There's something here. This is something. I can't put my hand on it, but I know it's real. I know it's, I know it's supernatural. I know, I know it's, and so it's that glory. So, if, so what he says is, look, when, when generations break down and, and here, well, they had it here. Man, they had it. They had it all through the wilderness. They had it. Fire of God, blessing of God, help of God. They walk over on dry ground. God holds the river back. They go to Jericho. God gives them great victory. The anointing, all this is going on. And then they get up here. Here, and the breakdown between relationships literally gives room for the word of God to not be valuable anymore. And then the lamp goes out and then Ichabod, the glory has departed. And finally, the Ark of the Covenant is lost in that battle. And that's the last part of this little, this little insight. And so when the Ark is gone, what does the Ark represent? Well, the Ark had a place it was supposed to be in. But when the glory departs, when the lamp goes out, the work of the Holy Spirit is decreased. When, when, um, the word of the Lord is not revered because the generations have broken down. Then the church, represented by the ark, loses its place in society. It loses its voice. It loses its influence. It loses its purpose. Where did all that start? Why did you work your way back? It all started in a breakdown between generations. Is this too much for you this morning? See, it's kind of heavy, but... But this idea of legacy, we can thank God for what he's done, but if we don't keep this up, he outlines here what the future looks like so that we must make the next generation as important as this generation. Maybe we even need to make the next generation more important than the generation we're now living in. Romans 9, 29 says, it's just as Isaiah previously said. So Paul's quoting Isaiah. Unless the Lord Almighty had left us descendants... We would have become like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. There it is again. The key to us becoming what we're supposed to come to become and doing what we're supposed to do is always in the next generation. And if we don't deal correctly with the generation coming after us, if we don't have the relationship we must have, if we don't give them the Bible, if we don't give them the Holy Spirit and the work of the Spirit, the lamp of God, if we don't establish the importance and the value of the glory of the Lord, if we don't make sure, then the ark will be removed and the church will lose its place. And you take the church out of a nation, then the nation will fill the void with sin and they will become like Sodom and Gomorrah. The fault setting of the church is to become, the default setting in a nation is to become like Sodom. The only thing that makes the difference is the church. 
We are the salt and the life. We make the difference. We make the difference all the way to the end, all the way till, till the final judgment comes after the church has been raptured out because the church is the key. It's the hope. They may not like us. They may try to outlaw us. They may make laws against what we do. They may stop giving us a tax advantage. They don't even know how much they need us, but I'm telling you, this nation needs the church to be the church the church is supposed to be because it's the church that's holding back the work of the enemy. And the only way the church can be the church is if we value the generation to come. And young people, if we value the generation that got us here. It goes both ways. (laughs) Spiritual fathers need to choose their descendants. See, sometimes in the church world, sometimes even pastors, ministers, leaders, will use their descendants to build their own ministry rather than their ministry to build their descendants. We've all seen that probably. We must realize the goal is not them building me a bigger tree, but it's my tree scattering more seeds and producing more places. That's the key. And there's a few little keys to this, and there's just a few little things that help us get that right. Number one to help us get that right is we need a dream that's so big that we can't complete it without handing it to the next generation. The way I like to say that is every God-sized dream requires more than one generation. And it's all through the Scripture that a God-sized dream is never completed by the first person to bring the dream to the forefront, but it's completed by the ones they hand it to. That a handoff is required because God gives you a dream. He doesn't give you a dream you can do all by yourself, but he gives you a dream that will require you have relationship with the next generation to fulfill it. That's how he works. Moses Moses had the dream to take the children of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt, walk them through the pro- to the wilderness, into the promised land, and establish them in the land that had been, first of all, given to Abraham. That was his dream. But he got, got them out. He got them all the way through the wilderness. But he died because, because of all kind of reasons. Partly he's an old guy. And so, but he dies, and he handed it off to Joshua. Now, what did Joshua have been doing? Well, Joshua had been following him up the mountain. And when he'd go up the mountain, Joshua would go with him. Joshua Joshua would watch him enter into the presence of God. Joshua hung out. He knew him. When he would go into the tent of meeting, Joshua would follow him up there, and he would go in, and Joshua would stand outside, and he could hear him talking to God and God talking to him. He'd get all excited. Moses would leave, and the glory of God would still be in there, and he would walk into that place where the glory was, where the residue of the presence of God, and he would hang out and be with him. Now, Moses come out. His face was glowing. Joshua said, I may not get to carry that out, but whatever's going on in there, I want some of that in my life. I want to be, and there was something about that relational connection that said, I want that. And so it was really, it was really neat to see what happened. And then later on when Moses would go, Joshua, Joshua was already ready. And he'd come to Joshua. Now I need you to take them in. Moses got them out. Now he's handing you the staff. You're going to lead them in and you're going to finish what Moses started because every God-sized dream requires more than one generation. David dreamed of a great place of worship, a great temple that would be built. And he went to God. He said, God, I want to build this. And so the prophet comes and says to David, God likes your heart. He loves you. And it's the right dream. It's good. But you're not going to do it during your generation. You're going to dream it during your generation. As a matter of fact, during David's generation, he bought the land. You remember the land he bought to offer the sacrifice to stop the plague? That was the land that would become the place where the temple would be built. See, even in our mess-ups, God still got a long-term plan. I like that. I just love that. He, David didn't get it right, but he ended up getting it right. Even when he's wrong, he got it right because God is so good. So he he buys the place, and then he, he, organizes, a, he, he organizes the people. He makes relationships with those that grow the timber were those that have the stones that will be hewn. He, he pulls together all the professionals and all the people he needs. He designs it, draws it, prepares it, puts money in the bank to do it. You know, I've also noticed that the generation that dreams it is usually the generation that pays for it, but not the generation that sees it finished. When the dream is right, you won't even see it finished. Well, you may, but you'll be looking over the banister of heaven going, That's exactly how I drew it up. That's pretty cool. Evidently, you inspired me to draw it up that way. Right. Yeah, I get it. 
And so it's a, it's a divine moment. So that later David goes on. But he says to David, the prophet says to David, David, you're a man of war. I raised you up to finish what Joshua left incomplete, to finish taking the land of promise, to finish and to run off the Philistines and push back all these enemies that they didn't do what they should have done, a price they paid for for their whole existence. And David is going to come and do it. He's going to establish the kingdom. He's going to kill giants. He's going to be. He's going to have blood all over his hands. He's going to kill anything and everything that gets in his way. That's who he is. But his son is not going to be a man of war. He's going to be a gifted builder. And he's going to build all kinds of things. But the most important thing he's going to build is this temple that you've dreamed about. See, I've noticed that one generation usually is strong in one area and the next generation is usually strong in another area. So when we bring in the next generation, we don't want somebody just like who we had. We want somebody just like God needs for what he's about to do to finish what we've been dreaming of. Is all this making sense? So there's this incredible moment of handoff. We see the handoff between Elijah and Elisha and how the, the way Elijah, I have a lot of fun looking at it. I like Elijah a lot. He was rough and tumble. He was, he was tough. And, and when, when they sent out the guys, the soldiers to get him, remember they sent out 50 soldiers to get him and he called down fire and burned them all up. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not nice. I don't know why he did that. <clears throat> but there are days when I've wanted that gift. Have you ever wanted that gift? You know, just, just for a moment, just... Well, that problem went away. That was great, you know. Can't even find the bodies. We don't even know. They're just all gone. And then the second group of 50 comes out, and he does it again. They're gone. And so the third group, I love the third guy because he's like way off going, hey, (laughs) I don't want to be here. This is not my idea. Please. I love that. But now, now, Elisha, he's totally different. I mean, all the guys get around his house, they're going to kill him, and he puts blindness on him. He doesn't burn them up. He just blinds them. And then he leads them to Samaria, leads them into the city. And the king says, what do you want me to do with these blind guys? He's blind. They're the enemy, but they're, they're all blind. What do you want me to do with them? He said, I want you to feed them. What? He said, the last guy would have killed them. What's the difference? Something shifts from generation to generation. One's a generation of war, David, and the other one's a generation of build. So some things shift in the generation. The key to all of it was there was a good handoff. It's not the same personality. It's not the same motivations. But there has to be a handoff, and the handoff has to keep those things of value alive. Number one, the Word of God has to always be our main thing. Number two, we need the gift and the working of the Holy Spirit, the lamp of God. Number three, we need the presence and the glory of the Lord in the house. And number four, if we'll do that, the church will keep its place in the community to accomplish what God's called it to do. Not for just this generation, but for my grandkids' generation. And for my grand great-grandkids' generation. I don't want just an America that gets me into heaven. I want a nation that gets my great-grandkids into heaven. I want to see a church that finishes this. They won't preach the way I do, and sometimes I'll be disappointed in them. I'll say, you should have burnt them up. You should have called down fire. That's how you handle it. No, pastor, why are you so mean? What's wrong with you old people? You're all like that. You're all hard-nosed. Well, where we grew, and we got this little tension sometimes. Amen. This is how we, but Elisha, see the beauty of Moses and Elisha and the secret to their success in the next generation is that they both left. One died. God can get rid of a generation that keeps getting in the way. He's dead. The other one, he, he caught him up in a, in a whirlwind of fire and took him away. But sometimes he leaves us here. He leaves the older generation in place. And that's even more difficult, I think, because we have the opportunity to encourage, to bless, but we have to allow some differences to exist. Amen, Pastor. You're doing really good today. I appreciate it. I had a couple of helpers, but I didn't have enough. I just need a little. I'm going to move this thing toward some kind of a conclusion. Acts 15, it's a great story, verse 36. It says, sometimes later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul 
did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Well, they, Paul and Barnabas, had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark, sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, left, <laughs> commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria, Caesarea, Caesarea, I don't know, and strengthening the churches. What just happened? Well, I, from the viewpoint of Luke, Luke wrote this. Luke was there. So Luke is writing about this moment when Paul says to Barnabas, and remember, Paul and Barnabas had been together since way back in Jerusalem. Uh, and then later on, when Paul would go up to Berea, and, and finally the church would begin to explode up in Antioch, and, and Barnabas would go get Paul and say, you need to come to Antioch. And they're st- they need what you're bringing. And he, brought, he had helped Paul again and again move forward in ministry, and then they were sent out together as partners in a, in a missionary journey, and it was very successful. But Paul obviously was in the lead. And then a second time, very successful. And now, now Paul says, the man of God, he'd become, he'd become the leader. Barnabas had taken his seat back. Paul says, I think it's time to go. And Luke wrote that down. Paul said, you know, it was time for us to go check on churches. And so Barnabas said, okay, I'll get John Mark, who, by the way, is my nephew. If y'all didn't know that, he's a nephew. Well, take my nephew, John Mark. Paul says, well, we took him last time, and he's a lazy bum. When it got tough, he left. He chickened out. Doesn't have the stuff. He's not an asset. I don't want him. Barnabas said, yeah, but he's going. And Paul said, no, he's not. And then Luke said, I'm writing the Bible here. I can't say everything that I heard in the next few minutes. (laughs) And so he just wrote, there was a sharp disagreement. (laughs) He didn't even know how to tell us what happened. It was a moment. It was an incredible moment where, where, where Uncle Barnabas says, this kid's got some good in him. I know his mama. I know his mama was Mary. His mama had the house that everybody went to when they didn't know where to go. That's Mary's house. When, Paul, when Peter woke up out in the street after being in chains and realizes he didn't know where to go, he said, I'm going to Mary's house. He gets to Mary's house. He finds a great prayer meeting going on. Why? Because that's what Mary does. Mary had the gift of hospitality. Don't you love people with the gift of hospitality? And to make their, and that's an incredible gift. And that's Mary. Boy, she just made everybody's there. Prayer meeting. She's a powerful, powerful. And, and her son grew up in that. And, and, her, and the uncle said, there's something in that boy. And I know there's something in that boy. Paul said, well, we gave him a shot and he failed. He said, you know, Paul, everybody doesn't get it right the first time some people need a second chance well i don't have time this is the important work of god hallelujah and we don't have time for some runny nose kid come along with us he said i am telling you none of this is in the scripture you have to be really anointed to know this happened he said i'm telling you the kid's got stuff and he just needs some time and some help and he'll be something for the kingdom well i'm telling you that we don't have time for that and you and i we've been partners and look how effective you know paul the truth is i appreciate our partnership but there's a point where you've got to choose the next generation over the partners of the past that's serious that's serious hey this was this was this was a shift Shift there. It was, it, was, it was a moment. In the very next chapter, Paul finds Timothy. You know what that tells me? He knew Barnabas was right the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Later on, if you keep reading it, you know the rest of the story, right? Paul's in a circumstance. He's looking for some help, and he says, hey, send John Mark. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Paul, what happened? I thought you didn't like John. Yeah, the boy's turned out pretty good. He's sharp. I'd like him on my team. But why didn't you want him on your team there? Because then, then he, he, was a, he, was, he, was, he wasn't an asset. <laughs> he was a liability. But now he's an asset. What made the difference? What made him from a liability to an asset? Uncle Barnabas. Barnabas did it. See, the next generation, when you first get them, aren't all perfect. But they're the only future you have. They're the only future we have. Oh, we now, we have this thing we've been doing in the last 
50 years where we, we put everybody born in a certain generation, we give them a title, and we say that they're all like this, and then we give another title to this group. And I was a part of the baby boomers. It kind of started with us. I'm the end of the baby boomers, by the way. When I die, there aren't going to be any more baby boomers. I think I'm the last one. They told me to turn out the light and shut the door. Baby boomers are over. Whatever it was we were going to do, we did. It's over. And then we have the next generation. You know this, right? And then we have the next generation, and we say this is who they are, and this is how they're going to. And you can expect them to be this way, and you can expect them to be. And you got generation X, Y, Z, and, and now we're having Z minuses. Like, I don't know where we go with this. I don't know where we end up, what we're going to name the next generation. We just keep on, and we, we put them all in little categories. You know what? I don't like that. We can learn some stuff. I guess there's some tendencies because of when and how they grew up and because of how their parents treated them, because of the politics of the day and because of the economy. And they're saying all these things. And I don't disagree with that. But here's, here's the thing. If we're not careful, we will disqualify them before we've had a chance to train them. We'll be a little bit like Paul was. They had their moment, their chance. They don't have what it takes. We'll skip that generation. Maybe the next one will be better. No, you can't skip any generation and get where we're going. Some take a little more loving and a little more patience than others. But the future of the church is in the next generation. It's in, it's in Eli setting his boys down and saying, you not heads. I'm not going to let you live like you've been living. I'm not going to let you mistreat the word of God like you've been mistreating the word of God. I'm going to stand up to you. But I'm also going to love you. I'm going to teach you and I'm going to train you. We're going to make a difference. See, God had spoken to Eli earlier and told him to deal with his sons. But he didn't. And so we can blame Hophany and Phinehas on the outcome. But it was really Eli. But what did God do? i tell you what God did. He gave Samuel to Eli and he was redeemed by his adopted son. Even though his natural born boys messed it up. And follow the whole story. I'm, I'm, I know you think, is this going to last forever? No, it's coming to an end. There, I can see that eventually. I didn't want to lie, so I'm trying to figure out the right word. Eventually, we'll be through this. So the end of the story is there's Samuel. And um, he finds a young man named Saul, anoints him king. That didn't work out real well. So he raised up a young man named David, and he anoints him king. David wants to rebuild the temple. God says, no, it'll have to be your son Solomon. Solomon builds the temple, and then on the day of the inauguration of the temple, the permanent dwelling, as he's praying, what happens? The Shekinah glory of God again, as it was in the wilderness, comes back over, and fire falls one more time. This is not man-made fire or false fire or human. No, this is that same fire that lit the fire the first time. They're given the fire. It's restored again way back so that the young man who wrote before the lamp of God went out didn't even know that he was the key and his life would be the key to putting in motion generational transfers that would lead to the fire of God being restored again. And it's all about relationship. It's all about generations. It's all about a dream so big that I can't do it if I can't give it to you. Which means it's not my option. If I have to chase you down to love you, I'm going to have to chase you down to love you. Because the vision matters. The dream is right. The word of the Lord must be restored. The lamp of God must be lit. How do we, what does all this mean to us? Well, let me turn my machine off so I'm not tempted to go look at other notes. What happens, ladies and gentlemen, is it's just a natural tendency for generation to, to generation to lose the value of what happened in the generation back there that started it all. And those boys did not value the fire 
the way those who saw it fall valued the fire. And those who grew up in a Pentecostal environment don't value the environment as much as those who saw the environment birthed and were a part of the falling out, the fire that fell and the miracles and all that takes place. So a hundred-year-old movement, we can talk about and read about our history. We can go to Azusa Street and we can talk about what God did 75 years ago to give birth to this church. And we can see those things and celebrate that. But if we're not careful, because we weren't there for that, we will take for granted and not put the same level of value on what they value. But each generation, somebody's got to say, here's what the Bible says. Here's why it's valuable. And we have to come to a moment. You know what I believe? I believe the Holy Spirit is more important to us today than he was 100 years ago. How can he be more? I don't know. I just made that up. But I'll tell you that I guarantee you he's not less valuable today than he was 100 years ago. We need the work of the Holy Spirit. We need to make room for the lamp of God needs to be refueled. And the word of God. How do we get where we are? We don't, we have so many non-biblically based ideas out there that flow through the church and find acceptance because society accepts them, but biblically they're wrong. How do we fix that? I tell you, we fix it when the generation that knows better puts their arms around the generation that's still learning He says, let me tell you why we believe the Bible is the word of God and why we learn from it. It's all generational. So here's what I want to do to wrap up this morning in this legacy. I want everybody in the building under the age of 40 to stand up. I don't care if you're a minister, not a minister. I don't care if you're under 40. I used to say under 30, but I'm now old enough to do 40. Because that anything under 40 is young. So I don't, I don't want to break any COVID rules, but I don't care enough not to do this. So I would like all the 40-year-olds just to come stand under 40, come line up across here. If you're under 40, just come stand up here. I, I know what time it is. Don't worry, I know. Just shoulder to shoulder, just line up. Now, these ages that are up here, some of them are really young. Not, they're not even teenagers yet. Some of them are, already have kids of their own, and they've got kids standing up here with them. you got, you got a combination of people. The thing is, at the different ages of their development, they all have different potential, different places, different parts of this process they should be playing. The key to their success, though, is in the hearts of the fathers being toward, turned toward the hearts of the children. In the hearts of the children back to the Father. So we're doing this today because what I want to happen now is I want all of you who are over 40 to pick somebody and come and stand in front of them. They don't do anything yet. Just come stand in front of them. So if you feel like you need to put your mask on, I think that's a great idea, by the way. So I said that. But if you don't have a mask, it's between you and the person you're praying for, I guess. I don't know. How did I get in this? How did I get here? I don't know how I got here. But I want you to just come stand in front of somebody. There may be somebody you already know and love and care about. Come on. Just come stand in front of them. We're talking about legacy. We're talking about what's next. Find you somebody. And I want you to think of somebody that's going to take your place when you're gone. Somebody that you just look at them and say, boy, that's who I was 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 40 years ago. Just find somebody. If there's two of you praying for one, I like that anyway. Just just team up on them. That's all right. Gang up on them. That's all right. That's all right. All right. Yeah, fight. Fight for it. Get your spot. You make sure you're in the spot you need to be. Just give you a Holy Spirit, you just begin to move now. Just begin to move.
Just begin to move, Holy Spirit. Just do what you do. Just be your, just have your way. Something's about to happen. Something dynamic is about to shift. Something's about to go to the next level. Something's about to change. Now lay your hands over on them. We believe in the ministry of the laying on of hands. We believe in that. We believe that one generation blesses the next generation by the laying on of hands. That there's a transfer of wealth. There's a transfer of wisdom. There's a transfer of authority. Something happened when the old old father of the movement would lay his hands over on the next generation. Just lay your hands on them. Father, in the name of Jesus, this next generation is the key to the dream that you're giving to this church. The key to the dream you're giving to your church. The key to the dream you have for America and for the world. This generation. Lord, we've started it in our generation. We've done some things in our generation. But there's no way we can finish it unless this generation rises up. Some of these are going to be deacons and leaders and teachers. And some of them, God, are going to hold great businesses and build things and support and supply. But they've got to do it. They've got to do their part. Some of them, God, are going to feel the call of God. They're going to understand you're calling them to be a leader. You're calling them to be an evangelist or a pastor, a prophet or apostle. You're laying your hand. Lord God, I pray for them. This next generation, the legacy, thank you for the past. But right now, this is our future. This person is the one. This person matters to you. They're a part of what you want to do in the days ahead. They're a part of what your plan is. Father, we can't get there without them. If they don't rise up, if we don't train them, if we don't treat them the way Barnabas treated John Mark, if we don't love them the way John, the way he loved John, so that he would raise him up and train him. We, we may get frustrated, but we can't give up. There is a way. There is a way. God, I pray an anointing of the Lord, an anointing of the Lord, a compassion, a love for the Father Jesus generation to the son generation to the older generation to the younger generation a divine love and a divine moment would just begin to take place by the power of the spirit of the living God by the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus name 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 Bless him, God. Bless him. Anoint him. Anoint him. In Jesus' name. And now those of you that are 40 and under, I want you to reach over and lay your hands on the older generation that's been praying for you. I want to reverse the process. I want to reverse the process. The hearts have to go both ways. Father, I pray for the older generation, the 40 and up. Those who have some experience and some life, they've learned some things. They've had some successes and they've had some failures. They've walked with you. They've got it right and they've got it wrong. But they've learned that you're faithful. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're trustworthy. You're a good God and a faithful God. They've learned it now, God. We want them to teach us. And so we pray blessing on them. We pray you would give them wisdom and how to guide us and wisdom and how to lead us wisdom and how to encourage us that you would show them how to open the door for us how to empower us how to teach us that yes samuel that's the voice of god you're hearing god speak to you next time say to him i'm your servant and i'm listening let them learn the ways of god let them learn this is what the temple's going to look like this is what the dream is this is the land that's been bought. This is what we began. This is the foundation we've laid. But we'll never finish it. It's up to you that the transfer would begin to take place. That the relationships would be what they need to be. They would be healthy. And each generation would value the other completely and totally. Moving in a mighty way. Releasing the next generation to carry the lamp of God into their world, to hold the Bible strong in their world, to walk in the glory of God in their turning back. Father, in the name of Jesus, I bless the legacy of this church that it will continue to be in its people, that the buildings will be a part of its process, but the people will be its legacy.